Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. Today, I have Laura Cortez joining me. Laura, thanks uh, thanks for hopping on to chat. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. For sure. Um, first question, who is Laura? Oh, no. I've <laughs> this question this morning, um, and I listened <laughs> to some like other podcasts for me earlier to get some ideas, um, but now I'm blanking. Um, I am Laura. I'm 26, and I think first and foremost, I am two things, like a dog mom, and then I was just like, an intersectional envir- environmentalist. Um, I think being a dog mom and kind of being active in the environment and all the things that encompasses are just two really big things that have taken over my life in the past couple of years. And how did you get there? Um, not the dog mom part, but the <laughs> active in the environment. We, the, the, being the dog mom needs no explanation. That's a, that's a given. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and there, like, the environment just wasn't too much of a conversation. Like, there is not really a space for, I guess, anything like that. And then I moved to Colorado back in 2018, and it just kind of felt like concerns around the environment and just education was everywhere concerning those things. And since then, it's just become, like, a very kind of central part of my life. And after getting into trail running a lot more in Colorado, I think that the two just kind of go hands in hands. And I've learned a lot about the environment through trail running, obviously. And it just kind of like became this curiosity thing in my life. I'm like a five-year-old constantly asking why and asking a lot of questions about it, which I think is fairly positive. Yeah, that's uh, – I think the asking why is is always a good um... – always good practice. And that's sort of the basis behind this podcast with um, applying it to to running uh, specifically. So what is it about the focus on the environment that is um, that is so important to you? Um, yeah, so I guess like, just kind of going like beyond day to day stuff, just kind of seeing how like it really affects communities. And I guess, more specifically, in like a trail running space, like, Growing up, I never knew that trail running was a thing. And I mean, I think, again, it was just like the environment that I lived in in San Antonio and just kind of general accessibility to it. So now kind of having moved or having lived in Texas and Oregon um, and now Colorado, just seeing the different types of environments that just kind of like Black people, Indigenous people and people of color kind of tend to like find themselves in um, is just what creates this like inaccessibility to it so i think now just my questions and work with the environment is around like why are things like this happening and kind of like assessing just the environments that i do see people of color in a lot i do see people of color in more often sorry um and so i'm looking at there and seeing like the ways that i can help and just like again in trail running just assessing like the why is it that like people of color aren't on the trails more often? Is it accessibility? Is it an environment that they find themselves in? 
that goes beyond just like access to the outdoors? Is it like family related and just the people who like they end up surrounding them- themselves with? I just think there's like a lot of really big questions there and just kind of taking that journey is like something that I find to be super important to my own personal growth and understanding my own background has just become like super important. It's fascinating. Um, I saw a tweet yesterday uh, uh, basically asking, um, what are some of your favorite cities across the U.S. that have less than 80,000 people and awesome, just like your some of your favorite cities uh, across the U.S., less than 80,000 people? And I answered... Um, I, I answered a couple of, you know, my favorite mountain towns and another friend jumped in and said, oh, interesting. Those are all, <laughs> those are all pretty homogeneous populations and, and there are no people of color there. Um, and specifically in the higher range of 80,000. So like 80,000 to a hundred thousand is what it ended up being. So Boulder, uh, Flagstaff, Bend, play, cities like that, where it, it is not diverse. And I didn't make the comment, you know, thinking much about diversity, but thinking more about it, um, I sort of hit a dead end. Like, I don't know any cities that fit that profile that are diverse. So uh, it was just an interesting reflection and um, interesting timing on on this conversation, because (laughs) I want to know, like, first, where did the where did that specific interest come from for you? And you you mentioned that that it's it's important, but I want to know where that comes from. Um, yeah, it's just like for me, like personally, like I mean, I'm from South Texas down there. Like all my friends are, you know, of like color and like like primarily a Mexican heritage. And then just kind of moving even to North Texas for university, like it was still a bit diverse there, just because we have like the Dallas area coming in for university as well. But then like moving to Portland. And I think that's where probably honestly, like this whole kind of interest really started developing because like, I loved Portland. I thought it was so much fun there, but it just never felt like home. And I would join mm-hmm. clubs and do this and that because I was like, oh, well, you know, like as long as I surround myself by like a running community, I think that it'll feel more at home. But the more I did that, the more just kind of like alone I felt and it wasn't until I moved to Colorado and my roommate, Tanya, she was the one who was like giving me the words to express how I feel about it all. Um, and just kind of, this is just like a weird kind of, I guess, conversation that I feel like a lot of kind of like um, like Black, Indigenous, and people of color families like do you probably have a talk about every so often? Like I know with my own family, it's just kind of this weird topic to navigate because we're kind of our background and being in the outdoors just isn't very, um, I guess, great. Like we went camping when we were little, but it was never something that was like, oh my God, we have to go do this every weekend. Like how cool. Let's go learn about it. And then just kind of learning more about other people who look like me who had similar experiences growing up. And, like, why, whether it's because, like, growing up, being in the outdoors was, like, oh, like, if you have money, then you're inside because you can afford to be inside and, like, do all these fun things in the summer. But if you don't have a lot of money, then you are outside more often. So I think that there is just some underlying stigma there. Um, And actually, Mm -hmm. sorry, no, I'm just rambling. 
Um, <laughs> it's great for podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom and I loosely had a conversation about something similar to this a few days ago. And like, where we just kind of parted ways on it, I guess, was that, I mean, you see minority people living in higher income areas, like all around California and stuff like that. But our kind of separation on that topic was that my feeling is kind of like the research I've done that I read up on is like the minority population. Yes, you know, they are living in California and those like higher income places, but their standard of living there just isn't so great. And the places that they have to live there for work just aren't that great compared to like a bunch of other people who live in California who like are white and do have a higher income who can afford to live in California like comfortably. So I just think that there is just... I mean, a lot to unpack with it. And like, I just get curious. It's like, what can I do to like help make the trail safer or like feel more welcoming for other people of color? So I think just in the end, that's just where all my questions come from is like, what else can I do? And like, how do I address these underlying issues to help my generation to help older like people of color who are runners and to like also help their kids just get out, just to kind of create that environment that's welcoming for them. So what what have you done? What can we do? What are the things that um, an individual can can do to create change and progress? Um, I guess just like on my end, like I've like I swear, like so I think Colorado is like my Disney World where just anything can happen. Like I <laughs> I've come across the absolute best luck since being here. Like that includes like the running community I found myself in, like David Roach. Like he was just mm-hmm. him and Megan. They're amazing people and great coaches. Um, and then also like more locally like in the Denver area, um, I've like actually met like on my own ish, like some other like runners of like Latino or Hispanic background. And at least like what we're doing on our end, which we've been plotting for a while, but are finally putting into action, is like having like a like a Latino Hispanic trail running group, um, just kind of like to promote that trail safety and education there and then my other friend Meredith and I we were gonna have a kids camp this summer but of course COVID happened um and we're gonna promote it to like inner city schools and just kind of like schools all around the Denver area to help get kids out on the trail for the summer and just have it be like a free thing so if you know your parents have to go do whatever in the evening and like especially like for inner city kids if their parents are doing like additional education or something then we can just like go grab the kids take them out for a few hours on the trail and stuff um just kind of provide like that free way of taking like basically free childcare, i guess um and in a way that's like super engaging for them so those are, like my two big things right now and like i guess for other people it's just kind of more than anything just like asking like why like why do i not see people of color on the trail because like at the same time, as inclusive as everyone wants to be, it's also kind of a balance between like being inclusive and then like not pitting your black indigenous person of color into a situation with other people who like aren't welcoming and aren't aware. And that's mm-hmm. just, like not a fun situation for anyone to have to be in. So it's just like kind of you don't have to ask yourself like why and like what you can do and what you want to do and like if the environment that you're in is even safe enough for someone else who is like quote unquote, like an outsider kind of thing. Definitely. So I listened to uh, Camila Journey on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she had a fascinating perspective as a black distance runner who has worked in marketing for her whole career. And so the the principles of marketing, and I know your background is in marketing as well, the principles of marketing are perfectly at play for how to increase diversity in the sport. Because the way that somebody buys something is they go to a website or they go to a, a store, or they go to some community where they can see themselves or they can, they can um, relate to the website or the testimonials or the, the user journey that that company is trying to describe and sell uh, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, that's exactly how we do it in trail running, which is my opinion. Um, I, I think that's if you don't see people that look like you, that, you know, are like you, you know, whatnot, it's going to be hard to um, create any sort of any sort of change. And then there's the sort of down the downstream effect of the lack of access to a sport that is good for cardiovascular health, right? The, mm-hmm. the, um, um, minority groups are are at a higher risk for or statistically um, overrepresented with cardiovascular disease and any of these um, any of these health outcomes that can be alleviated through activity. So it's like you have you have a problem and you have an outcome and the the solution to both is more of the activity. So I think it presents an like a like a um a chicken and egg type dilemma like where, yeah. where do you go, where do you go first? How do you how do you how do you get more people into the community so that more people can get into the community? It's like well, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's super interesting and definitely something that I think like gets overlooked too. Like, so first of all, Camilla, I just discovered her a few weeks ago and I've become like just such a big fan of all of her work that she's doing. Um, hey, Camilla, if you're listening. Um, but- <laughs> she's going to be she's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. So I'll, I'll tell her she's got some some super fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's like definitely like something that has come to play even in my own life my own life, like my dad, he was like super active, like my whole life, like soccer coach, paramedic, um, came to all my track meets, would go run with a weight vest for like a 5k almost every morning over hills in the neighborhood, just like this ultimate superhero of a person. And it just kind of seems like, again, being over, like overrepresented in that area of like, just kind of respiratory illnesses and like being more like susceptible to those things. Because then, like, maybe about 10 years ago-ish, six years ago, he got sick. And now he, like, can't do any of that anymore. So it's just, like, his participation gone. And it's definitely, like, hereditary on the men's side of my family. So, and I can only imagine, like, obviously how prevalent it is for other, like, minority families, too, to be, like, super healthy all your life. And then suddenly have, like, just some cardiovascular almost happened to you and like how that can affect the rest of your family's outlook on being that active and like the environment and being outside and running 
just kind of like, oh, well, my family has this history of like being super active and getting super sick. Like how do I stay active and not get sick? Does, you know, again, like one affect the other and just kind of that conversation. So it's just like a hard thing to navigate, I think. And like, I don't have any answers for that. Um, but yeah, it's just like a definitely like needed continuing, like continued conversation for all of it, for sure. And definitely. definitely. So what, what got you into running? Um, I hated it at first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone does for the most part. But um, I grew up playing soccer. And then my brother, when he was in high school, he had to do cross country to play soccer. And then I found out that I had to do cross country to play soccer. So it just kind of that way, which I feel like a lot of runners kind of take. And then the whole cross country team was basically the whole soccer team. And then in the summers, we'd have like really fun, just like summer training and stuff. So it's like, it was an easy thing to like get involved in and stay with just because over the summer, got up early, run some miles with our friends, hang out for a few hours. And it's just a good way to start the day. So I think that's like what really got me into running. And then uh, fast forward a few years and you're running 50Ks and, and <laughs> winning 50Ks. Um, how, what, is, what is that progression like? Um, I mean, it's been strange. Like I, in college, I was always good at distance running, but our team never like had like the, I guess, background and like doing super well or, or going to the national level or anything. So just to like, come out to Colorado or even like some runs in Texas and just to like be winning or like place in top three has just been like this absolutely insane thing to me. Like I, I'm looking at a 50 K first place thing that I have on my wall right now. And I think about that race and how I spent like half an hour at an aid station crying because <laughs> I thought I tore my foot in half, but it was a very slight case of plantar fasciitis. It's fine. Um, and then coming out to win it and catching up to everyone else. So I just think it's been like a very fortunate progression that I've had. And in a sport where you're definitely on the younger side um, compared to a lot of ultra runners who are 40s, 50s, 60s, um, what's what's that like? Um, it's cool. <laughs> I think... Like, I think, again, like, just my running group in the area, like, Ashley Brassam and I just moved to Lakewood, and she's in Golden, so mm-hmm. now we're, like, 10 minutes apart, and we run fairly often together. So it's fun just having, like, her around, because she's, I think, just a few years older than I am, but, yeah, like, being on a trail or just, like, being at a race and knowing that I'm the youngest person out there, I get excited knowing or seeing, like, other people who are older in the sport and seeing how, how, like, how well they're doing with it. So I was get, like get excited knowing that like that could be me one day, like being my fifties and still like crushing fifty k's. Like that's that's really exciting. And how did you get linked up with uh, Swap? So David and Megan. Oh my god! So it was when I was in college, and I tweeted something about like downing a whole package of what are they called wheat thins, and he liked my tweet. And I didn't know who he was at first. So I went to his profile and I saw he was a coach. And then I think I was graduating the following year. So like I DM'd him then. And then I got back in touch with him once I graduated. 
And then it's just been like a blossoming relationship since then. <laughs> he's gotta have a he's gotta have a, a tweet alert set up anytime somebody tweets eating a full thing of X. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I looked at him and I was like, ah, he's like he's like a thing. Cool, cool. So you've been working with him. So how long have you been working with him? Oh, God, let's see. I'm 26. So maybe like f- four years. And my running oh, cool. with him is like in the thousands, I think. So nice. For math. That yeah, is. I'm approaching, I think, day 700. So oh my God. I'm, uh, I'm getting up there, but it feels like uh, feels like we just started yesterday. Right. He's just a very refreshing. What are, what are some of the... Um, some of the lessons you've learned from him that um, that have been helpful for you? Um, I would say definitely like giving myself like grace just to like exist. Like, like he's been with me through like a lot of just like random things that I like just happens in life and stuff. And like, I just appreciate that he's like not afraid to, you know, gently call me out on like when I just you know, <laughs> step back and take a breath. Um right. And then just kind of like having someone like him who I look up to for that. Just like tell me like, hey, like give yourself grace and space and just like breathe for a sec and you're fine. Like if you can't run today, that's cool. And like, I think that's just like my probably favorite thing about him. Like going from something like university running where it's like super structured and this and that to going to David where it's like, hey, like I can't run today because X, Y, and Z. And, like, honestly, I still get, like, anxiety just thinking about telling him I can't run a day or something. But, of course, he's like, yeah, like, it's fine. Like, like you're good. You know, life happens. Yeah, I think the, like, um, rest days save seasons approach mm-hmm. uh, has been so helpful. Like, I used to, any time there was an unplanned rest day or even a planned rest day, it was like the worst thing in the world. And I, I would rather run through pain or injury or whatever just to like get the run done. And now um, like a couple weeks ago, I had, I wasn't sure. I texted him and I ran, I ended up running for four minutes and I stopped running. And literally as I stopped running, he replied to my text and was like, take the day off. And I was like, <laughs> I just came to that conclusion. Um <laughs> And, and it's, it's so powerful to be able to, um, have that ability to pull back when necessary. And I like to think of it as like a slingshot. Sometimes you have to pull back so that you can, you know, spring forward. Yeah, exactly. Like the way they have it set up, it's just like rust days can like help you break through. Like when you least expect it. I think that's just like so special to like buy into. Yes. So how has 2020 impacted your running? What's been the, what's been the, the change or how, where's your focus? Um, I mean, so like last year it was like a roller coaster of a year just emotionally with my health. So I think I was literally out once every quarter, which was, you know, a thing. But this year I think it's just been nice to like be able to sit and like, I can just kind of plan out projects that I've been wanting to do for a while and not have to worry about like, a race. And I know everyone's like super into Strava records and stuff right now. Like personally, I can't get into it. I think I'm just 
generally really bad at following directions on a trail regardless. So it's <laughs> me. Um, yeah. But like, I think it's just like fun. Like right now, like, oh, I want to go do like a 50K run. Like my friend Victor is throwing together this huge like 100K run from his doorstep to the top of Mount Evans and back down. And so I'm not going to do all of it because that seems like a day. But I'm going to do the 50K of it and just kind of go out there and hang out. So it's nice knowing that like we can have days like that now and not have to worry about how it fits into like a training plan for a race or anything. So I just love definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I had David on the podcast a few weeks ago and his biggest advice was like, remember, he had like a four point plan for runners. (laughs) And one of one of the points was remember to have fun. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think that's uh, I think that's cool that you can go out and sort of f- not fun run a fifty k, but you know have have fun with some friends and and run a fifty k. Yeah, and I love like so, wh- approach. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I love the fun approach. Like that's the best thing to have. Definitely. What are some of your favorite spots to run in Colorado? Ooh. Um... So, oh, that's a tough question. Um, I love running in like the Mount Evans, like wilderness area, like going up to Mount Evans and stuff. I think I'm doing that this weekend anyways. It's just so pretty out there. And then definitely um, anywhere in like Indian Peaks area, Indian Peaks wilderness. I just think it's so beautiful out there. Like any trail I've ever gone out there has been just like the best experience like out there was the first time ever got lost for more than a few hours. So that was a big learning experience for me. How many hours? I think I was out there for maybe like six hours. Um, Yeah, it was ended up being fine. Well, I had my dog with me. So I was like, oh my God, like she's not going to make it. But there's tons of like lakes and like mountain water runoffs. So she had like the best time and I was just freaking out like, oh my God, how do we get to the car? Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think I could pick just like one spot. I think just generally like Mount, like Mount Evans wilderness and Indian peaks area. Like they're just so pretty. I love all of them. Yeah. This, uh, this podcast for a while was a a Boulder or Colorado tourism promotion uh, (laughs) podcast. It seemed I, I go out there quite a bit. And so I have a lot of, of Colorado athletes on the podcast. And I think I had a stretch of like four or five in a row um, at one point. And, uh, and I miss, I miss that. I miss that area. I miss the mountains and all that good stuff. So glad to hear people are, people are enjoying them, but um, right now I have to have to enjoy it through, uh, through Instagram and and photos (laughs) of other people. Where was your favorite place to run in, in Colorado? I love Walker Ranch, mm-hmm. um, that loop just outside of Boulder. Um, I've done Sanitas a couple of times. I haven't done much. I haven't done much outside of Boulder. I've been up to Steamboat Springs, um, and I've been down to Colorado Springs, uh, where I did the Manitou Incline and the Bar Trail. But outside of that, um, it's been pretty much just like right, right in Boulder. I haven't done. I haven't done a fourteener. I haven't done any anything like that. Um, the highest I've, I've run was at 12,000 feet, um, at Loveland pass. And that was just like, you know, drive up, park the car, run, you know, you start at 1199 and run up to 12 and <laughs> just like yeah. uh, absolutely gassed within 30 seconds, That's which tough. is, yeah. 
Uh, and coming from sea level in, in Boston, um, it's a, it's a nice smack in the face, but, yeah. um, yeah, I'm trying to think of ways to, to get out there for a, a more, more considerable amount of time. Let's just say that. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, so what, what goals do you have for the year? What, or is it really just about getting out there and having fun? Um, I think, well, so I think you may have been able to allude to this, but I'm a really big procrastinator. Um, so I procrastinated on signing up for really anything this year <laughs> for a uh, dead horse in Moab in November for the 50 K. Like that's my first 50 K race I ever ran. Um, and then, so I want to do it again this year. Um, I'm obviously if things pan out for it or if I feel like safe to, to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll love to go back out there and like go sub four hours for, I think that'd be really cool. But otherwise I've just had so many like random projects like for a uh, four pass loop and just a bunch of things like out in like the Aspen area and like Maroon Bells, just to go kind of look at and go plan. So once I stop procrastinating on procrastinating to get those set up, I think aside from Moab, I just want to go out and do a bunch of projects. Um, when I first moved here, I was super into like huge weekends out with a tons of vert and like scrambling. So I definitely want to get into that more this year. That's awesome. If you like scrambling, you'll like, uh, you would like running in, uh, in New England. Oh, well, I like scrambling. I don't like all the routes that y'all have there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either. I'm really good at, at spraining my ankle and, um, that's, uh, that happens a lot out here. (laughs) Yeah. As fun as that sounds. Yeah, right. Um, David just tells me, oh, it's all part of the it's all part of the adventure. You know, if if you don't sprain your ankle, you know, you're not doing it right. So exactly. <laughs> uh, mostly mostly joking on that. But um, one of the questions I like to ask uh, on the podcast is about balance. And um, what is what does balance mean to you? And I don't mean that in the you know ability to to stand up and not sprain your ankle. <laughs> well, balance. Uh... Not great at much of it. Like, I think that's another thing that I've learned a lot from Dave is like how important balance is. And like, I think I'm just someone who's like very excited very quickly about almost everything. So I want to do everything and like balancing everything at once is difficult. Um, so right now it's just kind of being fortunate, like so, so, so fortunate to be able to like have my job and work from home. Like, mm-hmm. I'm definitely trying to balance just like my time with the dogs. I got engaged back in, oh God, it was kind of recent. Um, February, March, February. Um, and then just running. So like those are just my three like main things I'm focusing on right now. Just kind of balancing them and like trying to structure time. Like my mornings are my mornings with like running and like with my girlfriends and with my dog to go run and then come back home and just kind of like, be here and like be like centered around like Sage, my fiance and our dogs kind of like living with them and like enjoying every minute. And then the evenings, like very trying to get so much better about just turning off my computer and like not worrying about it. Cause like, I feel like that's, I definitely get that from my dad about just like work, work, work. So I think I'm trying to break that habit now while I can. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's imp- I think it's important to like set the boundaries. Um, I, saw, I saw a tweet this morning that said, "Let's stop calling it 
um, working from home and instead calling it living at work. <laughs> and I think it, it hits the nail on the head um, because there, there are no physical boundaries anymore. And that allows work to bleed over into the evening or early in the morning or the weekends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I find myself doing the same thing. And the way I've balanced that, so like I'm working starting earlier in the morning and uh, on the weekends and later into the evening. But the way for me that I balance that is like, I'll get up, I'll work, and then I'll go for a run at like nine or 10 in the morning and maybe then go for a bike ride at four or five. And, and so like adding in a little bit more flexibility in the day. So it's not, you know, a rigid nine to five, but more about like what works for me. And like, as long as I get my work done, um, I don't, I don't see the, um, you know, breaking the day up in, in non-traditional ways to be a problem. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I feel like Right now, like everyone just kind of trying to figure out what works for them. It's such a good time to just kind of like reset and like, what do we want that kind of like eight to five normal to look like? Because I'm a strong believer in like 40 hour works, work weeks until we're like 65 is just like not sustainable. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that. That's what you're doing. Like kind of makes me feel a lot more sane for kind of thinking like there needs to be more flexibility. So it's yeah. kind of like a good validation to hear from you. And so you work for, um, do you work for Jackrabbit? Yes. So what do you do for them? That's another uh, running, running specific uh, <laughs> uh, job. Yeah. Um, so our, yeah, so Jackrabbit, so like in Colorado, we are Boulder Running Company out in your kind of area in like the Northeast. We are, um, we're Jackrabbit, and then we have, God, now I'm spacing, um, a few other names that we are under. But so for Jackrabbit like the headquarters, I do their digital marketing and email marketing campaigns. And then I work really closely with just a bunch of brands and just on like product launches and how to get it out. And then um, I manage a lot of like the paid search. So like ads on Google and like Google Shopping. So I have like a fun mix of things that I do every day. Cool. And how did you get connected with them? Um, I when I first moved here, I was working for like this dental marketing agency. And then that went remote for about a month. And then I saw like this listing up on Indeed. And then they just kind of <laughs> liked me enough to like give me a shot. Um, so that was really cool. And how do you like the the um the mix of having what you do for work? also be what you do for fun i like it a lot i think um i think that like one of the more funny things about working in like the running world like that is like a lot of people in the office actually kind of hate running <laughs> so, i love that like well obviously we're not in the office now but like on slack or like any other like messaging like we're not all talking about running we're talking about just the real life things so yeah. Although, like, I work in running specifically, it's just, like, the culture and, like, the conversations we have, like, aren't all about running. So, it feels like there is, like, some space there. So, mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Cool. And what are some of the things that you know now that you wish you knew when you started running? Oh, do not wear the same pair of shoes for, like, a year if you're running a lot. <laughs> uh, you learned I, that the hard way? 
Oh, yeah. Like, I think I just, yeah, it was rough. I was actually a few days ago looking at pictures from like high school. And I think I wore the same pair of shoes almost all four years. <laughs> so the same, not the, not the same model, like literally the same pair of shoes. I, I really want to say so. Like, I know I had like some random one offs, but there is a specific pair of Adidas shoes that were white and yellow or white and red. Sorry, that I loved. I don't know the model. I don't know anything about it, but I loved, I loved <laughs> it and I had to have it. And that's awesome. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. That's uh, it's impressive that, that you were able to, you know, use the same pair without, without, uh, without issues. Yeah. No or maybe clue. You had, maybe you had them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're hang, hanging up in a, in a, um, in a trophy case somewhere. I'm sure. I hope. <laughs> cool. Well, Laura, thanks so much for uh, for chatting today. Where can we find you if you want to follow along with with your adventures? Oh yeah, um, on Instagram, I am Mamita Lorita. So that's basically where my life is right now. Um, so you can follow me there. Awesome. Well, hope to see you out in Colorado at some point soon, and uh, and and happy trails. Yeah, happy trails. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.